Today on the show, we're talking about being financially sound during a crisis. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your host. I'm joined with my other host, Trevor. And this week on the podcast, we're talking about being financially sound during a crisis. And this is a topic worth talking about. A lot of this, it's hard to become financially sound during a crisis uh, completely, but aspects of your life can be altered, adjusted, mitigated. This This is a time where you need to look at everything in your life to say, what can I optimize? What can I minimize? Every aspect of your life needs to be looked at during a financial crisis to to keep your head above water just just to survive. And just to lead into this conversation today, would you say that being okay, being prepared, whatever your word is for a financial crisis, is this all things in general that should have happened before? I mean, are we are we just kind of just pointing fingers at anyone who wasn't prepared for our crisis or or is 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 being being okay during our crisis? Is that something we can work at every single day? So the problem is, and I've said this on every episode we've done since the crisis unfolded, is I've I've said society is going to give you a pass on not being a hundred percent prepared for this crisis. Okay, no, I'd never had a global pandemic built into my you know what if scenarios. So I think you're going to get a pass on. But here's think of it at a beach and the tide goes out and the people who were not wearing bathing suits, <laughs> if you're swimming on a beach, you're going to be exposed. And think of it that way. So this is an opportunity to see where your flaws are. This is a this is a chance to reflect on what, what was I doing right and what was I doing wrong. It's imp- even even I <laughs> have been a little bit exposed in this, you know, not terribly, but not uncomfortably, but I see some, some flaws in some of my theories in my personal life. So this is an opportunity. So, so you will get a pass this time. Society's going to say, well, it's a global pandemic. What are you going to do next time? No, no passes. Nobody gets a pass. And there will be a next, a, another global pandemic. Okay. They, they happened every hundred years. Just say there's a vaccination. I hate to theorize, but, and just say it works for a little while. And then all of a sudden it doesn't work. So we're back into a, a pandemic-like scenario. Though you should have cleaned up your house to some order for that that next disaster. So, if just imagine if you grew up in the depression, the Great Depression of the 1930s, and you were like just obliterated financially, and you would be if if you carried on with your life like you did in the Roaring Twenties after the Great Depression everyone that lived through that would would think uh, not that you should do what you do in society based on what people think but you you would be thought of very negatively if you conducted yourself like you did in the roaring 20s in the 1940s having lived through the depression now that's a really interesting perspective and when you say that are you saying just at a societal level in how you would be viewed or really just at a personal level in how you conducted yourself I think both. I mean, if if you are, if you're overextended right now and super exposed, when this thing's over, I think it's going to, there's going to be a huge reset. People are going to, 
okay, everyone that was buying $65,000 trucks and, and eventually those trucks are going to get repossessed because you can't make your truck payment. The next time somebody who's 25 is driving a $65,000 truck, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know, okay, you probably can't afford that. That, that truck's 90% on credit. And you know what? You're, you're one global pandemic away from losing your truck again. Like it, it, it will be unacceptable to conduct yourself in that manner. Like good times are going to be here forever. That's interesting. And I, I know we're getting off topic from today's show, but just to kind of further that along, do you think there's going to be an overall shift of acceptance in that if you weren't driving a $65,000 truck prior to the crisis that maybe maybe you hadn't figured out what the best vehicle to drive was like there was that kind of sense of judgment on the size of your house the the value of your of your vehicle do you think we're going to see a overall shift in what is deemed accept not not only acceptable but responsible if you're driving that $65,000 truck are you going to is it going to are you setting money on fire even more than before but at a whole societal level you know what's going to be is the the guy who just lost his truck because of this pandemic that person is going to get another truck the person that lost their truck their house and and they're they're basically they're neck almost homeless with with a family that one's they're not buying another truck so it depends on on the pain you suffer because of this pandemic that that'll alter your behavior if if you just lost your truck you're probably buying another truck no that makes sense I want to rewind a few minutes ago. You mentioned something that really kind of triggered my interest, but you were saying how that this crisis, if we go back to kind of what today's topic about being financially sound. So it sounds like to me that you took this or have taken this opportunity, this crisis moment and kind of brought this kind of this light out of a really dark situation that you were able to, I mean, you kind of sound a little excited about finding a hole in your financial uh, roadmap and being able, not a hole, but kind of an area that you can kind of buff up. So do you think that you feel that way because you are in a, you set up kind of a good financial foundation for yourself prior to the crisis. Do you think, and I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because I, I feel a certain way about it, but do you think that those who weren't really financially sound before the crisis are going to be viewing that in a different light and the fact that they'll be embarrassed and and kind of just trying to move past this crisis as fast as possible and not look at how they were affected and in the in the ways that they were exposed well, I think the measuring stick is going to change. So what, what looked like financial stability pre-pandemic will look, financial stability will, will have a new definition post-pandemic. So what you considered stable, uh, the size of your mortgage, uh, borrowed, you know, couple, two car loans, uh, a half a million dollar or $400,000 mortgage, two $30,000 car loans, and maybe you got a, an RV or something, all, all this stuff on credit, but a really good paying job, that looked maybe in somebody's world like a fairly, two, let's say two well-paying jobs. That probably you know, was a measuring stick of somewhat financial stability in that person's eyes. Post-pandemic, hopefully that person does not use that same measuring stick for financial stability. It, 
I, I would think I would I would half all of that debt or or, or even more before I'd even be like if it took two incomes to finance a lifestyle, I'm hoping post pandemic people look at it and say one, maybe one and a half incomes to support a lifestyle. But realistically, do you think that's actually going to happen? I mean, I 100% agree with that. But do you think at a subtle level, are we ready to shift our tolerance to debt and and really readjust what it means to be financially stable? Well, who knows how this thing unfolds? If a whole bunch of people default on their, their current loans, their current debts, then they're not going to qualify for new credit anytime soon. And lending institutions are going to be really clamping down on, on who they will loan money to. So it, it might not be a choice for people, right? They, if, if you end up getting your truck repossessed, well, getting another truck loan, okay, maybe pre-pandemic, you just go to a different dealer or a different lending institution and convince them that you're, you're, you've changed. Post-pandemic, maybe not. Oh, that's interesting. So the the force is really going to be from above, not within. So it's it's, it's I, I I do agree with you. It's an interesting, and I am curious to see how it unfolds and any shifts that will occur. Yeah, this may not be conscious decisions people are making. This could be the society as a whole is changing who they view as credit worthy and who they who who's not credit worthy. And you know what? Maybe I mean it's it's not crazy to think that we. We obviously live in a society with with debt prior to this crisis. So, I mean, if we, if we all were able to uh, avoid debt and 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 think in that in that way, then we would be a debt free society, uh, a consumer debt free society. So, I do agree that um, it, it might be wishful thinking to assume that we can all at at a, at a society a society level see that shift in in being financially sound and not having that debt. I do want to move the shift of the conversation now over to something that I think is touching us all when it comes to being financially sound. And I, I kind of, for me, it kind of feels like maybe an artificial stability. And this is in turn from the government support we're receiving. So I'm curious to like, just your thoughts on how we're, we might feel this uh, kind of this artificial stability and in, in, in the government funding and, and how that transition is going to take place from uh, government support to less government support. Well, I, I think don't count on the government support to be there till the very end, till, till we're fully recovered. It, it's, it, it can't possibly work that way. And I think societally, the transition from a society that's government supported, which a, a large percentage of our society is, and we'll go through the programs that are available right now, to a society that's self-supported, that's going to be very uncomfortable uh, period for a lot of people. And if you think of some people are being paid to stay home, and they might be being paid to stay home from jobs they hated. So the longer you're paying those people to stay home, and they're they're getting a paycheck, they're paying their bills, they're, they're getting food on their table, all of a sudden you say, okay, now you got to go back to that job you hate for you know the same money or maybe a little bit more. Those people are going to be really hard to motivate. But I think people are going to, this is going to be, we're going to, we built up a very uh, endurance, stamina to get up and go to work every day as a society. That That's effort, right? You, you build that up over time. You start in your 20s, you you get up and go to work every day and then all of a sudden it gets a little harder. You got a family. You still got to get up and go to work today. 
And that stamina has been built up over a lifetime. Now we're talking months, months of not doing that. For some, for some people in our society, that transition, I mean, we're going to be an incredibly unpro- unproductive society when, when, when we start back up. It's, we're not going to be this efficient machine that we were. That's, I, I do, I, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly. And I mean, that really dips a little bit further past the the kind of the financial impact of this crisis and more to just the productivity, like you said, of, of society as a whole. And when it comes to, so I, I, before we get to talking about kind of the different government programs that are in effect right now, do you think that our outlook on the money we receive in relation to maybe our job satisfaction, how do you think that's going to shift? Are we going like you, I, I do agree with you the fact that maybe if we have if we're working a job that we don't like and, and we're not at the job now we're going to the job and making that same money. I feel like there's going to be kind of a giant shift in just our overall outlook and and maybe the, the thing that we do to make the money that we earn. I, I really think it, it comes if you had a job you just were super you enjoyed it you were very enthusiastic about it you look forward to going to work every day that guy he's going back to work in a heartbeat and he's going to just go back to the same pace but i'm saying it's the people who are grinding out soul crushing jobs those people that just say you're making half of what you made what with the government program that's still going to be a tough sell for some people yeah no i i 100 percent I want to talk about those government programs you mentioned. Um, so there are there are a few in place right now. So we'll go through them one by one and just kind of talk about them a little bit. So the f- well, these prog- these programs are um, there's a whole bunch of programs out there, but I think these programs that we're going to talk about these are the ones that are really affect the sort of everyday person. This is most people in society are touched by at least one of these programs. So the first one is government insurance, which is a 45 week program. Yeah, so traditional employment insurance, this is if you got laid off from a job, uh, you you could apply for this, no no pandemic. I mean, this has always been out there. It's 45 weeks long. The requirements to to qualify for it are, are somewhat stringent. You have to be laid off. I, you, you have to be looking for work while you're collecting it. And, it, and it's 55% of your, your um, what you were making before, before you were laid off, up to $58,000. So that's $58,000 is the insurable earnings. So it's, 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 it's designed to get you by. So for 45 weeks, that's, that's what your first sort of government program that would be available. The next one is Canada Emergency Response Benefit. And so this is a new one based on the pandemic. It's, the acronym is CERB. And it's two thousand dollars a month, and it's for four, currently for four months. And anyone who's getting this, just know you're getting the gross amount. You're gonna have to, you're gonna owe taxes on this when you do your tax return in twenty twenty. So just be be warned that this isn't uh, you're gonna owe some of this back. Uh, this one, there's very little to qualify. You go to the website, you answer a couple of questions, and you get a two thousand dollar check once a month. So this one is. In place for four months, I suspect it started in March. I suspect they're going to extend this to August, September uh, very shortly. So this one 
is what most people are on that, that I that I know this is the one that they're collecting. The next one is Canada Emergency Student Benefit. And so this would be if you're a, a, a college or university student or even, I guess, a high school student, and you, obviously, you, you need a summer job to help finance your education, right? They, they, you're going to earn money to go to school. So you get $1,250 a month for four months. Basically, that's the summer you would have got work for, and there's no work to be had for a lot of people. This is a, a program. I've done the math. This is about, if you worked at minimum wage, this would be about half of the money you could earn in a four-month summer as a university student. So there's a gap here still that needs to be closed. I suspect come the fall, you're going to see a lot of uh, subsidizing of tuition to help bridge that gap so kids can go back to school. They're not actually going to go back to school, in my theory. It's going to be online school, so you won't have the living expenses maybe. You, you, so you, maybe you don't need all the money you needed the year before because you had to pay for school plus pay for a place to live so it, it will cost you less so maybe maybe this does cover your costs there probably will be some grants for tuition so the i know some summer students who are impacted by who are getting this benefit because they couldn't find summer jobs so this is another one i know personally people that are benefiting from this the next one is oas subsidy on time payment so OAS is old age security. So this is anybody over 65. You get uh, a, a regular monthly payment from the government. They're doing a one-time uh, $300 top-up to sort of help compensate for some of the added expenses you might have had in the pandemic. So this is a one-month. I suspect you're going to see this um, happen maybe the next month or maybe every other month for a while. I don't, I don't think this is going away, but right now all they've committed to is this one, this one time payment of $300. So if you're getting OAS in the month of, I think it's May or maybe June, you get an extra $300. And lastly is a, a wage subsidy. So this one is probably affecting most people. So you might not even know you're getting this, but the, right now if your business is down, I think it's 30% in April, 15% in March. So if your business revenue is down 30% in April or any month after March, uh, your your company can apply for the wage subsidy. And what that is, is the government will pay 75% of you, each employee's earnings up to 58,000 insurable earnings. So 75% of 58,000 basically works out to $847 a week. This program is in place for 24 weeks. So this is you you are benef- you could be benefiting from this and not even know it. So your employer could apply for this. You're going to c- continue to get your regular paycheck. Your employer is getting s- subsidized by the government to cover 75% of that. So this program, I believe, will be extended uh, maybe into the October, if I had to guess. But I, I right now, I think they're committing to the end of August. But I mean, if if this thing hasn't slowed down or there's been no improvement, they're going to have to extend this. And the whole idea of this, and this is kind of a political move, and it's not that I'm against it, but I understand what they're doing. So just say you were on unemployment and the unemployment run out and you've got no money. So your your anger or you're upset with the government, whoever stopped paying you is where you're going to channel your energy. So with the wage subsidy, you're continuing to get a paycheck from your employer. Well, when they stop the wage subsidy, if your employer decides there's not enough business there to continue to pay you, 
and the wage subsidy stopped, then the your employer will will lay you off and stop paying you. Then you will be challenging ch- challenging your negative energy at your employer, not at the government. So, in my mind, this is a bit of a political move, but it's also an efficient way to get money into the hands of the people when they need it the most. They, there's already a a financial relationship between you and your employer, so this is an efficient way to get money to your to your taxpaying public. Uh, so I, I, they're all really, I think, well-designed programs to get money out in a hurry. So I, in in reviewing these, you're saying that next time we have a pandemic, I mean, if and when, that these programs might not look the way that they do now as we, as a society, weren't prepared for a crisis at this magnitude? I think whoever thought up the wage subsidy 75%, that that person, uh, the, that that program should have came out before the uh, the CERB benefit. That That is the most strategic one. I think that's the most well thought out one. I think it benefits the most people. Um, so I I think that one... If there were another pandemic or another crisis, they'd roll that program out first. So to kind of continue the conversation on then, you mentioned that there will be kind of that uncomfortable transition period for people after um, when we move from basically government supported to self uh, self supported. So what what is that economy going to look like? Well, when they start turning off the tap on all this government money that's that's going to people's pockets i'm not sure how it's going to happen are they going to they're going to stop funding uh different sectors of the economy like are they going to start stop funding manufacturing and say okay you guys got to make it on your own or are they going to start weaning you off it goes from 75 percent to 50 percent to 25 percent and maybe the serb benefit it starts to ramp down from two thousand dollars to fifteen hundred to one thousand dollars motivating people to go out and find work who knows how they they turn the tap off on, on all this this flow of money, but it can't last forever. Don't count on this to go on indefinitely. But people talk about the the economic recovery one of two ways. There's going to be this V-shaped economic recovery. So the V-shape is the government mandated everyone you know can't work and all the social distancing, businesses shut down, restaurants shut down. So the economy just went straight down. And then when the government says, okay, it's all safe, there's a theory that the economy will just goes straight back up because people still, you know, they if they have money, they want to spend it. Like they, they're going to assume our society's mentality has not changed. I I hope it has. I hope it will. And if it does change, if our society's mentality does get altered, and if people don't want to go on cruise ships and people don't want to travel because of I'll say fear, and people don't want to live on you know, spending every any, every penny they earn, then we have a long, painful road to recovery. And recovery, you have to say, what does that mean? Does that mean, I'm going to say, if it's a long, slow recovery, we're not going to recover to post-pandemic levels. That That is not, don't look for that as the recovery. Don't, don't wait for that to reappear. If it's long and slow, it's going to be recovering to the new normal, something more cautious, something where people actually save money and they, they 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 don't buy on credit maybe because they can't get credit or they're terrified of losing their job and and their home being taken away or their car being taken away so think of of it that way so i don't think there's going to be a v-shaped recovery i i can't see how that makes sense 
So I think there's going to be a long, slow recovery to a new normal. No, I agree with with you on that. And it is hard to imagine what that will look like. I mean, we can be hopeful that it will look financially responsible, but it will be very interesting to see what that looks like. And a couple of questions worth asking is, do we you know, ask yourself, what don't you want to go back to the way it was? Is there some aspect of society that you wished was different and you're hoping it doesn't recover to the way it was? I'm hoping lending institutions don't loan people as much money as they used to loan them. And if you just take mortgages. So if the banks aren't willing to, to loan people four or $500,000 to buy a house, if, if, if the banks won't loan you that much money, given that the average income, then the, those people won't be homeless. The price, the price of houses will come down to a, a level that makes more sense. Cause I think in our, in our hotspots like Toronto Vancouver, the, those real estate prices, they don't make sense. I mean, if you take the, the cost of labor and the cost of materials, it, it just does not reason check that a house should cost as much as it does. Obviously, the land is the the, the, the mystery piece. Well, the, the Canada's got tons of land. We got, land <laughs> we got more land than, only one country's got more, more, more land than us, and that's Russia. So we have tons of land. So real estate shouldn't be as expensive as it is in Canada. So I, I think... If lending institutions won't loan you $400,000 to buy a house, be patient. The price of houses will come down. That, that It has to. So in rent, rent is getting, uh, in some of the big cities, rent is outrageous. Well, I think you're going to see people who couldn't pay their rent and landlords can't evict them. There might be a correction in, in a lot of expenses. So there, there could be a reset in a lot of things that don't make sense. And maybe, maybe lending institutions... They, they won't loan people money to buy $65,000 trucks who can't really afford to buy them. And automakers will stop making so many $65,000 trucks. They'll start making cars that people can actually afford. So who, who knows what the new normal looks like? These are some obviously some of the things I like to see changed when we get back to a new normal. Yeah, no, it's, those are really good questions to ask. And I mean, most of the time we are asking, what do we want to return? But a little less rarely are less rarely are we asking, what do we not want to return? So it's a very, it's a good question. It's a really good question to you ask. Know, that's, that's a future podcast episode. It is going to be one. What don't we want the new normal to include? Yes. Yeah. It's a conversation that is worth having. I agree. I want to move on now to talking about some strategies, some ways that we can make sure we're more financially sound for crisis, during a crisis, um, when and if another one were to occur. And, and also maybe what we can do now to help keep ourselves financially sound in the situation that we are in. So there are five ways that we can do this with the first one being make sure the work you do is invaluable and you're indispensable. And ideally you would, you would have designed this plan pre pandemic, right? You would have created this scenario where you were indispensable pre pre pandemic, but I, I don't think it's too late to do this. You you can be the jack of all trades, be the first one to put your hand up for an opportunity. So if you're still working, be open to anything. Like don't, don't try to put a box around what you do. Here's something I did 
a long time ago and it, it kind of, I kind of stumbled into it, but it opened my eyes to a new way of thinking. So I work in, in accounting and one of the questions accountants get asked all the time is, you know, where do I charge? You know, if someone has an expense or they're doing a purchase order, they want to know where does, give me an account number to charge this to. And when I started at this company, there was only one person who had the answer. You, you, you it was the, 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 the person in charge of the financial department. They're called the controller. And so somebody would say, um, go ask the controller. So they, they'd ask them what account and they'd give them an account number. And, uh, and then sometimes I, I people would ask me and I'd have to go and ask that same person, what, what account number? And I got tired of that. So I, I said, how do you know what account number? And so the, this person walked me through what, you know, they, they don't have all this magic in their head. They have to look it up. So they walked me through what they did. And I said, oh, I think I can do that. So the next person that asked, I looked it up, gave them an account number. I slowly became the person everyone wanted, came to when they needed an account number. And I kind of stumbled into that and I realized and you know what the controller they that person started coming to me asking me what account number should I use for this and it was crazy but I ended up being the account number guru I still am to this day if anyone wants an account number they call me they send me an email they ask me and I, I don't so sometimes they ask me at the worst possible time and I I get annoyed but I haven't lost sight of how valuable that is and it's not like it's some skill I learned or I just asked a few questions and figured it out. And now, of course, now I can do it without looking anything up. I just know them. I've been doing it for so many years, but I stumbled into that. So I applied that mindset, that mentality to a lot of other aspects of my job. So whenever I'm in a meeting and a, someone says, okay, this has to be done. A lot, you, what you end up with in a, in a meeting, you got a big conference room, a bunch of shrinking violets. <laughs> Everybody just becomes real small, right? Don't pick me, don't pick me. If I'm in a meeting... If I think I even remotely got a, just a, a shred of, you know, how I might approach this problem to solve it, I put my hand up. I said, Ian, you know, I'll take a crack at it. Worst I can do is fail instead of all these shrinking violets, right? And you, you end up creating a reputation for yourself for being this person who's maybe not a go-to, but a person who's willing to participate and willing to take on something beyond what they're responsible for. And that comes with some risk. I mean, you could take on something and fail. So that's that's a downside. But there's more upside to it. So even in this pandemic, you can still blaze this trail. This is still an opportunity for you. And even more so, companies maybe are laying people off. So they've got a skeleton crew. And they do need jack, uh, someone who's a jack of all trades, someone who's willing to to be flexible and do things that they normally don't. So this is an opportunity to shine. And when this thing's over, you could end up prospering because of the way you approached your work that's the short answer to that that's a long answer to that short question well nowhere to lie i know someone who um his primary role is uh being uh in delivery uh making deliveries but um he's also been trained in he's also kind of wiggles his way into being trained in all the departments um in, in in the warehouse he works for and and when they were laying people off at his company, I mean, he had, a, he had a theory that they were doing them, laying people off in the order in which they were hired. And he he was like, oh, I'm I'm definitely I, I'm next on that list. I was I was hired after that person and before the other person. But I mean, 
time went on and people were just fully laid off that were hired after him before him like there was no rhyme or reason he kind of boiled it down to the fact that he had made himself indispensable by really kind of being a jack of all trades and being able to work on that skeleton crew really effectively so that's it's it's definitely it's that and again that was that was done during this crisis but i agree with you trevor looking for opportunity to do that is is invaluable the second way you can make yourself financially sound during a crisis so these are the things that you can think about to incorporate your life after this is over as well is make sure or not even make sure but think about ways that you can create alternative forms of income for yourself so remember i said earlier i said there's some things that i would i've kind of felt exposed at so i don't have alternative forms of income okay i have passive income through investments but investments are down right now so i i'm i would be reluctant to tap into those at the moment so I really have one source of income, my my job, traditional employment income. So I feel somewhat exposed. Now, this podcast is not a moneymaker, but some people do make money with a podcast. They do advertising and different things. We we don't do that. We we do this because we enjoy it. But this could be flipped into a, a, a financial sort of means, I guess, in, in a in a pinch. But uh, I don't have a, a, a secondary source of income, so. I'm not exposed because I'm, I'm in a good financial place, but I, you know, thinking next pandemic, I think having a sec, a secondary source of income, a side hustle as a lot of people would, would frame it. I think that's a, a, a strategy everyone should consider. It also is kind of shines light on different career paths and different career avenues that might be beneficial to pursue um, just in the terms of not putting all your eggs in one basket. We talk about sometimes the benefits of, of kind of being an entrepreneur in that sense. And we've talked about that in the past about how if you diversify your employers, you're, you're not kind of just working for one employer. So if, if you get laid off at that job, it, that's the, your end all and be all. Well, I know somebody who, so another approach to this would be having multiple skills, employable skills. So here's this, here's the story of, I know somebody who, who he was a, a truck driver. So he was a, I think he was a truck driver for about 15 years, drove trucks and he tolerated it. He was, he wasn't in love with truck driving. It was kind of a thing that was in the family. So he kind of just followed his father's footsteps, took up truck driving, did it for 15 years. I think that's a pretty good test run to see if it's something you like to do. It's probably even longer than most people would do it if they didn't like it, but this guy stuck it out and he ended up finding an opportunity for uh, event tents. You know what those are? Like if you have a wedding, an outdoor wedding, you set up these great big tents. Yeah. So he bought a tent business and he bought it last fall. <laughs> and of course, there's no events going on and that business is just is dead, right? But he has this truck driving skill and of course, truck drivers are in high demand right now. So this guy, he went, he was, he started his tent business. He had a really successful fall. So the fall in 2019 he did really well he thought this he thought he was into something solid he still might be post pandemic but that business dried up of course overnight and he went and he he's picking and choosing truck driving jobs uh they're they're following from the sky all day long so here's a guy who's got multiple skills so he didn't have a side hustle but he he didn't forget how to drive a truck he still had his truck driving license so 
for him, he, he kind of, it worked out for him. No, that's, that's, that is very important. I'm glad you highlighted that the, the ability to have multiple skills that are really diverse too. Like that's, that's, that's incredible for, for any time. The third way that we can incorporate into our lives to make ourselves more financially sound during any crisis is keeping an adequate and reasonable amount of food storage within our homes. And, and this, this extends to hygiene products and, and, and just other um, things, items like that within our home that is of value. So you remember I said I was exposed when this pandemic comes. This is another area I was exposed in. I was, I'm not someone to stock up on, I, I never was, to stock up on different things that I know I'm going to consume on a regular basis. I just wasn't, you know, we did an episode on Costco. Like <laughs> you go to Costco to buy high volume, right? And I don't believe in, in Costco. And I, I just, I've never been somebody who buys. I just sort of buy what I need. And as I consume it, and I, I live in a small town, I can get groceries on my way home. It's, it's, it, I've done it my whole life. It seems to be working out. I now I believe in the the stockpiling of of some staples, right? So food and hygiene products. I've now so now it's socially unacceptable to stockpile. You know, you're called a hoarder, right? If you go out and you fill your cart with, in fact, I was grocery shopping and I like frozen fruit. I make my own jam, so it's I don't like the sugar you buy in jams in the jar. So I I normally buy f- you know four bags of frozen fruit. Well, I got it at the register and they said nope. You only get two. <gasps> no, really? Yeah, yeah. So I had to put the rest back or they put it back for me. So there's an example where, you know, I have a freezer. I could have been stockpiling this stuff all year long, but now I'm, I've got a ration my jam supply, right? Because I, I can only make so much. And I don't want to go grocery shopping any more frequent than I have to because I, every time you go, you expose yourself to the virus. So there's an example where I've, I've been exposed. I, I have not made a habit of stockpiling food and, and here I am. Wow. Yeah, no. And it's, it's definitely these little moments that we can take and prepare. I know I was in the same boat. I'm, I'm one who eats kind of fresh greens, fresh vegetables, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. That's definitely an area that I, I was really lacking on myself. So I, I mean, I, I don't live in a huge house with a huge basin for storing food, but I think there's definitely, I, I think this is definitely a reasonable thing if you have the means to, of course, store food uh, in this way. And it's also valuable too, I think, if um, in, in, in the future, a crisis can be, that doesn't necessarily have to be a pandemic. A crisis can be a micro crisis, could be losing your job and, and having kind of food storage on hand just to um, it help you in that transition between finding a new job and, 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 and leaving your last job could also be valuable as well. So I, I think that's, it's important from that aspect as well. Now, this is something that becomes hard to do during a financial crisis though. Like this is, if you hit a financial crisis, you don't exactly have extra money to go and start stocking up. This is something I think you really need to be practicing pre-crisis definitely definitely and 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 to your point and what you said in the kind of the first five minutes of the show as well that the the little bit of excitement that you had in your voice around strategies and ways that you can um, really kind of buff your financially uh, financial plan for a crisis I think is 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 good is is a valuable and, and and good approach to to situations like this the fourth way that we can make ourselves financially 
sound during a crisis is limit all our expenses to the bare minimum. Any excess that you don't need, cut it. And so this one is, it becomes easy if you're not locked into a bunch of contracts. So you know how if you get a phone call from Bell or your, your cable provider and they say, you know, you can get this really good price if you commit for 12 months. You know, those deals where they, they give you a, a three-month discount, but you got to commit for 12 months. If you signed up for that, you, you can't cut that. You, you've committed to the 12 months, right? So this is where I believe in every expense in my life. If it can be month to month, it is. I, I will forgo the temporary savings of a contract every single time. So when crisis hits, I can just discontinue services and they just go away. I, I like to watch. Here's a good one. So I like to enjoy my sports on TV. I'm a big hockey fan, like a bit of football. So there's a, uh, a streaming service, a sports streaming service. It's called Rogers Sportsnet. And there's another one called TSN. We're here in Canada. Everyone who's from Canada has probably heard of those two if you're a sports fan. Both of those services offer a 12-month uh, deal, right? So if, if you pay, if you go month to month, I think it's 20 bucks a month. And if you sign up for 12 months, so you pay a whole year in advance, it's like, I don't know, 16 bucks a month. It works out to be, well, I go month to month. I'm paying the, the $20 a month when I, when I want the service. And when I don't, I discontinue. Well, it turns out there's no sports on there's there. <laughs> sports has stopped. So what a waste I would be. I would be paying for this thing for 12 months and there hasn't been sports in three months. So it would be like wasted money. So that's an example where prepaying for anything can come back to haunt you. So again, this is a tip. What what goods is information in the middle of a financial crisis? Well, if you don't have any contracts and you, it's not urgent, like here's a good one. If, if, if there's two cell phones in your household and nobody's working, just say nobody in your house is working. They're, they're, they're all, you're, everyone's out of work because of the pandemic. And everyone's got a cell phone, right? You, you, husband, wife, kids, they all got phones. You just need one phone, one phone working. Discontinue the cell service on every single one if you're not in a contract. I use Public Mobile. This isn't sponsored by Public Mobile. They're month to month. You can cancel at any time. So if, if we were all out of work, we'd have one working cell phone. That is it. That's an example where you can cut costs. Obviously, uh, cable TV, like, Okay, so when a pandemic, have one streaming service. That's all, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll grant you one <laughs> streaming service. Pick the cheapest one and go with it. Actually, you know what? If you're in Canada, CBC has a free stream. Uh, you can stream TV shows on CBC for free. It's not Netflix, but it's, it's, it's entertainment. And it may not be your favorite entertainment. You'll learn to like it, but it's free. YouTube, tons of entertainment on YouTube. So be, get creative. Cut all the expenses you don't need. And here's one. Nobody's driving. If you have multiple cars in your driveway and nobody's working, call your insurance company, take that car off the road. Take it off the road. You will get a refund from your insurance company for the, the time that you're not going to be insured. And if, if, if you really want to get hardcore, take the license plates off it. Actually, you know what? Don't do that. <laughs> okay, I take that one back. But take the insurance off it. Just park it. You just need, you probably don't even need one car. My car moves like twice a week. I, I don't even, but I'm working. I, I still have a job. My wife's still working. So we're not, we're not feeling any of this crisis at the moment. But look, 
look at the things that aren't so obvious. You know, cell phones and cars are the things that are normally life, but you have to really look at them with a critical eye and say, do I need all of this? No, I, I like that. And you and your examples exemplified the the true definition of bare minimum. I mean, you were about to let Netflix slip by as as a minimum, but and it, you kind of change the tune. And you're like, no, you know what? There are other alternatives. So I think that is the true um, the true thing we have to look at is is what really is the bare minimum, and be really honest and critical with with that answer. The fifth way that we can make ourselves financially sound during a crisis, and, and this might be the hardest to do, and one, of course, that we will have to, we'd have to do kind of prior to the crisis, or one that we can look forward to working with and on after this crisis is over, is building an emergency fund and having that emergency fund available. So obviously, if you're out of work and you don't have an emergency fund, this this is useless, right? You, you can't build an emergency fund if you haven't got any money coming in. But the thing about the emergency fund is, is make sure if you're using an emergency fund, it is for an emergency. And so just because we're in a global pandemic, financial crisis, everyone's out of work, Netflix and those, those, those expenses I told you you should get rid of, those aren't emergencies. Emergencies are like you, you, have to, you can't finance lifestyle with your emergency fund just because you're out of work. You have to, emergencies are we need money to eat. We need money. Okay, it's not winter, but you keep the heat on, keep the lights on, keep the water running. You can use your emergency fund for those things if you're at work, but don't, but don't be using it to keep making your $65,000 truck payment. Don't, don't use your emergency fund for that. That's not what it was designed for. That is not an emergency. You're, don't, you're, you're better to let, if, who knows how long this thing's going to last. Call your lending institution. See if you can cut a deal, if they can give you Pause your payments for a few months. Who knows? Do everything you can to not spend that emergency fund on non-urgent things. That's that's all you can do in a pandemic. And if you're still working, build every penny you got. Pump it into your emergency fund. Everything. If, if you had a six-month emergency fund before, build it to a 12-month emergency fund. Keep just pumping money into that thing. And remember your your budget. If you have a documented budget, you've got your discretionary and your mandatory expenses. Well, None of your discretionary expenses should be coming from an emergency fund. Those things got to go away. So this is the time to utilize that budget and, and understand what's mandatory and what's discretionary. And if you have any questions about budgeting as well, we do have past episodes on how to budget in our, in our back catalog that you can always go back and, and listen to as well. So that does bring us bring us to the end of today's show on being financially sound during a crisis and strategies to incorporate moving forward to make sure that we are financially sound during a crisis, regardless of how small or large that crisis may be. We talked about the the government support that we are that is available today and the transition we're going to see between between government supported to self supported as we move forward. We talked about kind of the the recovery of the economy and what that might look like and what that might look like as a whole of society as well. Finally, again, we concluded by talking about the five ways to make ourselves financially sound during a crisis. Again, the ways in which we can move forward and incorporate those strategies as well. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. We can't wait to have you back with us for another episode. Until then, 